So uh, our topic this afternoon is what does it mean to be a Christian? The supporting scripture reading that I've chosen is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Let us read that passage together. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against your soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, Glorify God in the day of visitation. This far, our scripture reading. Let me just read again um, the question and answer. That is our focus this afternoon, Lord's Day 12, question 32 and the answer. Why are you called a Christian? Because I'm a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing. So that I may, as prophet, confess his name, as priest, present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and as king, fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we heard about 
the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was raised from the dead and that he is alive and how that influences our life. Beautiful reality. This afternoon we want to explore this a little bit further using the catechism, what it means that we are called Christians in those three aspects, prophet, priest, and king. It is our hope and prayer that as we are reminded of these beautiful truths, that we are, will be stimulated to, to live as Christians, to experience the riches and also to seek to experience the riches more and more in our daily life. A Christian, believers were called Christians. This is actually a question for the children here the elementary school. When were people for the first time called Christians? When did that happen and where? So I expect nobody to shout out the answer, although it would be nice. But I'm sure you know, the first time that happened that people were called Christians was in the city of Antioch. And if you want to read about it, Acts chapter 11. Maybe you can ask your dad or mom this evening to read that in the Bible. Acts chapter 11. Believers were called Christians first in Antioch. They were followers of Christ. You follow Christ, so you are a Christian. I don't think uh, people meant that as a compliment when they called them Christians. But people could notice that these people, they are different from the rest of us. They have a certain belief, they have a certain way of life, and when you ask them about it, they say, that's because we follow Jesus Christ. So we'll call them Christians. So maybe it was not meant as a compliment, but the Christians took it as a compliment. Yeah, Christians, that's what we are, indeed. So let's reflect on that a bit more this afternoon. What does it mean if someone is a Christian, if you, if I, I'm a Christian. So, using the catechism as our guide here, it means two things. At a foundational level, it means that I have a special relationship with Christ, Jesus Christ. I am a member of Christ by faith, sharing his anointing. That's the foundation. And then the practical outworking, three things there that we are prophets, priests, and king. So, we'll get to that. So, first we look at that foundation, that Special relationship. Why are you called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith and the share in his anointing. So notice that word member. A member of Christ. Now that indicates a very close connection. When you are a Christian, it means that you, and it's much more than being a member of a club. You're a mem think of being a member of a body. A body, you could say, has members. A body can be dismembered. Okay, but here we talk about a, a living body. And we as Christians are members of that body. Very strong, intimate connection. We belong, we don't belong to the government. We don't belong to ourselves as Christians. 
we belong to the one who has bought us with his own blood. It's a wonderful thing. We never can completely understand it. It's beyond our understanding, but God in heaven sent his own son to become a human being. He died for us. With his death, he bought us. And now, all, everyone who belongs, who believes in him, that's what it says, by faith, is a member of the Son of God. Think back of your baptism. The form for baptism explains it well. What does it mean if a person is baptized in the name of the Father? means that you're adopted to be his child, an heir. What does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Son? Baptism form says it means that you are united with him in his death and resurrection. His death was for you, his resurrection is for you. Wonderful privilege. Adopted to be God's children, just like Christ. United with the Son of God in His death and resurrection. What it means for Him, it means for us. And then the third aspect, we share in His anointing, it says here. And there we think of the Holy Spirit, also illustrated by baptism. When we are baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, it means what? It means that the Holy Spirit promises to dwell in us. And it also means that the Spirit promises to make us living members of Christ. You heard those things every time a baby is baptized in church. Now, most of you know that in the Old Testament, certain people were anointed. So that word anointing, let's focus on that for a bit. Certain people were anointed, means oil was poured, nice-smelling oil was poured over their heads. You can think of the examples. Again, if I, was, if I had the children here, I would ask them, can you think of a priest who was anointed with oil? Aaron? Can you think of a king who was anointed? Saul, David, by Samuel. Can you think of a prophet who was anointed like that? Elisha, anointed by Elijah. So that happened in the Old Covenant. Those leaders were anointed with oil, and it meant that they were set aside for a specific task, prophet, priest, or king. And that oil, you know that oil had a very nice smell, scent, strong, and just like you can't see it, but you can smell it, so it is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to work through that person, and you'll see the result, a beautiful aroma for the Lord. There's one more person we need to talk about, and that is the Lord Jesus himself. He was anointed too, but in a special way. The Lord Jesus was not anointed with oil. How was the Lord Jesus anointed? The Holy Spirit came down on him in a visible form when he was baptized in the River Jordan. 
The heavens were opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove and came to rest on him. And there was a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And now it comes. We confess that when I'm called a Christian, that it means that I'm called a Christian, it means that I'm a member of that Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The Holy Spirit came down on Christ. He was full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. His disciples saw it. Other people saw it. The Apostle Peter, later on, when he was speaking to Cornelius, a Roman centurion, he said this about Christ. I think you know it. He said, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how, how God anointed, there you have the word, Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. The Bible is very clear about it. And now, one more thing about Jesus. He was not just a prophet or a priest or a king. He was all three. Of course you know that, but we need to lay the groundwork, right? For this afternoon. Jesus was anointed to be all three of those things. A prophet and a priest and a king. The summary is in the previous answer in Lord's Day 12. Why is he called Christ that is anointed? Because... He was ordained by the Father and anointed with the Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, fully revealed to us the counsel and will of God, our high priest, by his, the sacrifice of his body has redeemed us, and our king, who governs us by his word and spirit. And now, we come to where we want to be this afternoon. If I am a Christian, it means that I am a member of Christ by faith. I am united with him and I get to share in his anointing. And I just hope that you would let this sink in this afternoon, brothers and sisters. Those words. I am a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing. Can you imagine that? No, you can't. I cannot either. But it means that just like Christ received the Holy Spirit to be a prophet and a priest and a king, so we too get to be prophets and priests and kings. Now just imagine for a moment how big of a change that is in a person's life. Because we were not able to function as prophets and priests and kings. I mean, as a prophet, you're supposed to speak the truth, but what do people do? What did we do? We became liars. And think of priesthood, supposed to give yourself as a sacrifice to God. What happened to that? Well, we became self-centered. We became jerks. 
just thinking about ourselves. And we're supposed to be kings, rule over evil, against the devil. What happened to us? We became slaves of sin and servants of the devil. That's what happened to us after the fallen sin. And that's what, what will happen as long as people do not repent and flee to Christ. And God, in His mercy, sent His Son into the world. He became like us, except that He didn't sin. He functioned as a true prophet, high priest, and king. He did all the work that He needed to do, His death, His resurrection. And now everyone who belongs to Him is being restored to becoming a prophet and a priest and a king again. Now it's a process. We do not reach perfection in this life, brothers and sisters, but we do really begin to function as prophets, priests, and kings. That is God's intention for each one of you. Please remember that. That's what God wants for your life. That more and more you would be anointed with the Holy Spirit because you share your member of Christ and that more and more you would start to function as a true prophet, a true priest, and a king. So, of course, this can only happen if we are intimately connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it's not possible. It's only when His strength flows into our lives that this will happen. And that's what the Lord wants. This morning I also mentioned that text from John 15 about the vine and the branches. When the Lord spoke to his disciples and he said, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. You guys stay here, but remain in me just like branches are connected to the vine and you will bear much fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. Isn't it wonderful? He's in heaven, we are here, but that's what he says. I am the vine, you are the branches. Closely connected. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now that's a beautiful picture for the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. So, whoever you are, male, female, young, old, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then what happens in your life is that you will share in his anointing the Holy Spirit is going to dwell in you and that same spirit that worked in the life of Christ also now works in you as I said it's a process it's going to take time and it's like I've used the illustration in the past it's like when you buy an old house as they say a fixer-upper we are all fixer-uppers. It's not like the Lord bought dream homes and now he, the Spirit can dwell in us and it's just fine. No, the Lord is always in the business of fixing up people. We are all fixer-uppers. So the, the, the Spirit comes to dwell in us and, and he's cleaning up the place on the inside. This needs to go. That needs to be brought in. It's, it's a process. But it's a beautiful process. Because... We are being cleaned up from the inside and we start to produce more and more fruit for the Lord. So these are just the basics, but we need to talk about it. 
Because without that relationship with Jesus Christ, the living Lord, what follows cannot be true. But now let's continue and talk about these practical aspects of a Christian life. We'll just go through it. What does it mean to be a prophet? What does it mean to be a priest? What does it mean to be a king? What does it mean to be a prophet? As a prophet, it says that I may confess his name. I'm not sure that people always understand what it means to be a prophet. Sometimes people think a prophet is someone who is able to know what happens, what will happen in the future, so he can foretell what will happen. Yeah, that could be part of it, but there is more. Other people would say a prophet is someone who can spot a false teacher from a distance and denounce them. That could be part of it too, but it's not a full picture. A prophet, fundamentally speaking, is someone who has received a word from God and then speaks it. That's a prophet. It's very simple. A prophet is someone who has heard the word from God and then he speaks it. Pass on the word that God has given you. That's what the prophets in the Old Covenant did. Sometimes they would talk about the future. Sometimes they would talk about the present. Whatever they heard from God, they would tell God's people. It could be exhortation, it could be encouragement, it could be admonition, it could be various things. What is it then to be a prophet today? When you read the New Testament, well, the same letter here, 1 Peter chapter 4 has a nice description. Chapter 4, verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Hmm. There you see it. If anyone speaks, a Christian, let him speak as the oracles of God. Let it be a word of God. Let it be as if God himself is speaking. So it means that when we speak, people should be able to discern a divine quality in what we say. That people will be able to recognize, hey, what this person is saying, the way he speaks is not breaking me down, it's actually building me up. I want to listen to that person again because he, there is some quality what he says. Let's try to make it practical. You want to be a prophet? A prophetess? What does it mean? Well, negatively, it means what Peter said, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Slander, stuff like that. Don't do it. Or as the Apostle Paul writes somewhere else, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Only something that is good for building up. That it may give grace to those who hear. And there you have the positive. That is what it means to be a prophet. And anyone can do that. Young and old, male, female. Everybody can be a prophet as long as you're connected to Jesus Christ. You can speak in such a way that you build others up instead of breaking them down. It starts at home, 
I think. The way you speak with your children. As a young mother, and I see many young mothers here in church, as a young mother, you can be a prophetess when you talk to your children. Because you can pass on what you have heard from the Lord and give it to your children, as little as they are. And as a father in the household, you can be a prophet. You heard, you heard a word from God, you can pass it on to your children. Maybe there is an argument in the home. Dad, Mom, can we watch this movie on Netflix? Dad, Mom, I want to go out with some friends. So, there, as a Christian parent, you have an opportunity to be a prophet. You could keep quiet and say nothing. Or you could kill the conversation and simply say, no, it's not happening. But you could also have a conversation. Pray that the Spirit will enable you to confess Christ. Build up your children that they may receive grace through your words. Uh, you yourself don't have the wisdom, I don't have the wisdom. But when we are united to Christ, it is possible. When our children come with questions, let it not be the case that we avoid the conversation or that we say something like, that's just the way it is, or that's how we do things. To confess the name of Christ means that we try to explain how Christ is Lord of all aspects of our life, our work ethic, our understanding of marriage, what we do in our free time. To mention a topic, no sex before marriage. Why not? Everybody does it. Please don't say because the church is against it. Rather, explain the Lord's good intentions, how it is His design to give us true happiness, and that therefore He forbids sexual immorality, and that we may expect His rich blessings if we do things according to His holy will. All those things that that's what it means to be a prophet, very practical. It also, it's not just in the home, of course, it's also outside, at work, in the society. The Apostle Peter writes, we read those words, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How do we proclaim God's excellencies? By our walk of life, sure, but also by the words we speak. Is this difficult? Yes, it is difficult. Someone might say, Pastor, when I look back at my life, I should say I have remained quiet too often. I should have spoken up, but I was afraid. Or someone else might say, Pastor, when I look back, I've often been too quick with my mouth. I have judged others rashly or admonished others too harshly. Yes, we, we all fail. 
in many ways when it comes to how we use our speech as prophets. But brothers and sisters, there is forgiveness with the Lord. We can also ask forgiveness with those around us whom we have hurt. But what is more, we can count on the assistance of the Lord. He has promised to give us His Holy Spirit so we can grow in these things. And He will enable us to be more and more Christ-like in how we speak. Just remember this one thing before we go to the next aspect. In order to be a prophet, what do you have to do? First, listen to the Word of God. It can't be your own word. It has to be the Word of God. And maybe I'm saying something that's obvious, but you cannot speak God's Word if you don't know it. So if Facebook is all you read, you're going to be spiritually impoverished and you're not going to have much to say. If you're on the feeding tube of the media every day and every hour of the day, you just absorb everything that the world is telling you, how are you going to be able to speak a word from God that is going to build other people up? So be a prophet, be a prophetess. But in order to be that, study the word of God, listen to what God has to say, and then pass it on to the people in your life. And then you can expect great blessing. How much do we need prophetic speech in our families, in our churches, in our society? Speech that is anchored in God's word. That kind of speech builds people up. It brings grace to people. Well, let's move on to the next aspect. I'm going to be a bit shorter. A priest. What is that all about? So the Catechism says, so that as priest I may present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him. Let me use an example to explain this one. This morning I mentioned that hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be, remember? So the author of that hymn is a lady with the name of Frances Havergal. And the story goes, you can find it on the internet, that as a young lady, she once visited a museum in Germany where she saw a painting by an Italian painter, Domenico Fetti, and the painting had the title, Ecce Homo, Behold the Man. It's a painting of Christ and his suffering. So it's a painting of Christ on the cross, and then under that painting was a question in Latin. And it says this, This is what I have done for you. What will you do for me? So... Frances Avergal looked at that painting, Christ in his suffering, then she looked at that line, this is what I have done for you, what are you doing for me? It had such an impact on her that she devoted her life to Christ. She decided to do that. And then she went home and she wrote this hymn, Take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. Now that's what is meant with the expression 
being a living sacrifice. That is what Peter meant when he said, you are to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. So you and I, we don't have to die anymore as a sacrifice. Christ has done all that. But when we follow Christ, what he asks us to do is to just offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Sacrifice still has the meaning that it will be costly. There is this famous expression by a German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. When, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And Bonhoeffer himself, he did die during the Second World War. Most of us don't have to die that way. We are not called to become martyrs, but we are still called to bring ourselves as sacrifices. It's going to be costly from a human perspective. And yet it's beautiful. Let's make it practical. Practical. What are you doing with your money? Do you put everything into your own investment and your own future? Or are you able to give some money away, even if that means that there is something you cannot do anymore? That would be a sacrifice. There are Christian men who could have been millionaires or billionaires, but they gave too much money away to support churches and Christian organizations. That is a very practical form of priesthood. It's an excellent investment in God's kingdom. Let me give you another example. What are you doing with your body? As a Christian, you say, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But is your body a temple of the Holy Spirit? Or has your body become your idol? An idol that needs to be tanned, adorned, made attractive? Do you control your body or does your body control you? The Apostle Paul warns us, each one of us should know how to control our own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So I've talked about money, I've talked about the body. Another example, reputation. Status among people. So many of us struggle with this. What do other people think of me? There's this book title, When People Are Big and God Is Small. Oh yes, on a Sunday we all sing the psalm, My heart is steadfast, O my God, your mercy I will ever laud. Your name I will in song extol. But then, on Monday, are we still extolling God's name, or is it about our own reputation? You see, it's it's hard to be a priest in the sense of Lord's Day 12. It's hard for you, it's hard for me. It is hard to be so devoted to Christ that I can make real sacrifices in terms of money or popularity or whatever. And make no mistake, we all struggle with this. Ministers too. 
We also struggle with reputation and all kinds of things. And we all fall short. But it is so liberating to be able to give it all to Christ and say, Lord, you've given everything to me. Please help me to give everything to you. Now, remember, one of the main tasks of a priest is to do what? Except for bringing sacrifices, a priest also had to pray. That is what Aaron and his sons were called to do. That is what the Lord Jesus does as our high priest. He lives always to pray for us, for you and me. Hebrews 7. So let that be also something you and I want to do much. Spend time in prayer. Again, not, nothing, not, not something that comes naturally. There are so many things that we can do in a, in a day other than pray. But let's spend much time in prayer. We have a living Lord in heaven. He prays for us. He expects our prayers, our petitions. Let's do that. Let your petitions and thanksgivings come to the throne of God. And by God's grace, that will have a powerful effect on your life and then also on the, uh, the life of people around you. We come to the last aspect, being a king. As a king, we fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. So, just briefly, two aspects are mentioned here. Do you see that? Fighting and reigning. We fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and then we reign with Christ eternally over all creatures. Now I'm going to say something that's not, being, not said here in the, in, the, in the catechism. The reigning, it's not just starting in the hereafter. We already are supposed to reign here. That's also part of being kings. It's not mentioned, but it's part of it. Think of the example of King David. King David, he did fighting and he did ruling. He was fighting against the enemies of the Lord and we read in Samuel, the book of Samuel, the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. He was a fighter. But then once his kingdom was established, David also ruled God's people. And there is a wonderful testimony about David in 2 Samuel 8 where you read, So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Let that sink in for a moment. That is what a good king is doing. He fights against the enemies, and then for God's people, he rules with justice and equity so that all God's people can live a good life. How did he do that? Well, you can read, he would, for example, appoint capable men. Joab, the main general of the army, Zadok as priest, and so on. That's part of being of ruling. You appoint good people. He also showed gentleness. Chapter 9 of, to Samuel, he invited Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, 
you come and eat with, at my table. We also know that David was not a perfect king. He sinned against the Lord by taking another man's wife and then having that man himself killed. So there is reason indeed that the Catechism says we have to fight with a free and good conscience against sin and against the devil in this life. Brothers and sisters, persevere in this fight as kings. The crown is waiting for us. Hereafter, I will reign with him eternally over all creatures, it says in the Catechism. Paul writes that to Timothy, as if we endure, we will also reign with him. But in the meantime, as we live our life from day to day, let us remember what a good king does. David's example. Rule, reign with justice and equity. Let us start in the family once again. The way you manage your household, the way you treat your children, that there be justice, that there be equity, gentleness, love. And then let it flow from there, your responsibilities at work or in the society or in the church, that there be justice and equity so that people can say, yeah, when these brothers or when these sisters are, are working with us, there is just harmony, there is blessing by God's grace. The Catechism ends with a beautiful future perspective that hereafter we may reign with Christ eternally over all creatures. What a wonderful future that will be. And we are going to sing about this with hymn 26. You holy Lamb of God, we bless you through your cross redemption sent us and to the Father you present us as priests and kings and holiness. O Savior, you have ransomed us, hence we will honor and adore you and cast in gratitude before you the crowns by grace bestowed on us. We will glorify Jesus Christ in whose anointing we share and who made us share in his inheritance. You, Holy Lamb of God, we bless. Hence, we will honor and adore you. Amen.